Okay. Ready? We'll do a, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do but you gotta do the ands. One and two and three and four. That? Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six. Yep. Okay, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Together, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, no. here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and Oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Well, welcome to another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. We are doing this remotely from the corners of the country. Where are you at today, Bob? Uh, I don't know, but um, I'm near Milwaukee. I'm near the Milwaukee airport. Uh, are you playing Shank Hall by any chance? I played Shank Hall last night uh, to a uh, to a wonderful group of people, and uh, uh, definitely a few fans of the podcast were there. Oh, really? What did they have to say about that? Uh, they were just saying that they loved the podcast and that uh, they felt like they were uh, my good friend now. And I was like, uh, well, that's wonderful that you feel that way, but I don't know you at all. You know me, but I don't know you. Right. And uh, but I didn't say that. I said, "Oh, that's wonderful." And now they're listening to it, going, "They know exactly who I'm talking about." Bluezette. It's it was Bluezette is who it was. I was curious if we were going to have an Arkham Asylum Lady Part Two episode. Uh no, no, <laughs> no. This no Bluezette. Uh, and <clears throat> was wonderful. And uh, everybody I, I I met last night was uh, was very nice and. Uh, and uh, yeah, I feel like this podcast is, uh, you can connect with somebody through a podcast that, that you can, it deepens the connection that was started with the music, but uh, it, 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 you get to really know somebody when they're, you know, when they're doing, when they're just, there's no script and they're just, you know, speaking from the heart as we do. Hmm. Is this a TED talk that we're doing right now? Uh, it's a... Uh, maybe a clint talk <laughs> even though you're doing most of the talking yeah i'm talking in the way that i feel like you would talk if you were doing a ted talk okay cool well i don't know if you remember this but the first tour i ever did with you in 2011 one of the first shows i played with you was shank hall in milwaukee i remember being at shank hall many times but yeah. uh and I remember being there with you, but I feel like we've been there more than once, right? We have. We've been. I've probably done that three or four times. But what I remember about it, and you told me this later, maybe even years later, is that on that first tour, because we didn't really know each other, and on the first tour, which we should probably talk about how we became buds, because that's an interesting story, but you thought I was a good guitar player and a good hang, but you still weren't quite sure what to think of me. And I guess that night I got pretty drunk either during or after the show. And you had told me that you were worried. They were like, oh, this might be what his problem is, that he's like a big drinker. You and Conrad were like, maybe that's what his problem is. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't It wasn't Shank Hall. It, we had a gig before Shank Hall. And I, I can't remember where it was, but... Or maybe, maybe Shank Hall was the first gig and maybe it was the second gig, but... It was at a sound check, and you'd already cracked a, a can or two uh, mm-hmm. at sound check. And me and Conroe were like, 
this guy's wonderful, but oh, maybe he's got a drinking problem, and maybe that's why uh, he's not like playing with Taylor Swift or something. You know like where that. that was? That was at Vaudeville Muse in Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. I can't, I can't believe I remember that, but I do remember that. Yeah. So, and so then we were like, "Uh oh, what's going on?" But then, of course, you were great, and uh, and everything was wonderful. So uh, our our worries were for naught. Right. I don't normally rock the soundcheck beer. I don't know why I did it that day. Here's another thing I remember from that day that before, because now I know you and the, this is just par for the course of you, but one of the things you had done that day, because you used to always go and get art supplies and then you would sort of make the back lounge of the bus a an art studio and you had, you had found a big rock and within maybe an hour, you had chiseled our drummer Conrad's face into the rock and it really looked like him. And I remember being like, God damn, this guy's crazy. Dude, I don't remember that at all. I, I was just going to ask you, I was gonna, just going to ask you if you had still had that rock. Do you don't remember ch- chiseling Conrad's face into it? No. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, no, I do remember. I do remember doing some rock chiseling <laughs> at, outside of some club. That was it. Uh, Yeah. I don't. I don't think I did. I bring that on the bus. Oh yeah, I, I, it, it was stayed on the bus the whole tour. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Was your, that was in your rock chiseling period. I did get. I did have a moment where I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll become like Michelangelo and start carving shit. Here's what I know though. It's easy. It's easy. It's not easy, but it's easier to carve uh, marble because it's a soft stone than it is to just fucking try to hack into a piece of fucking boulder which you're not here's why you don't see boulders in fucking museums impossible to fucking chisel into that shit right Uh, it was was awful well those were the early days of us playing songs every night that i had never heard that was a that was a crash course in following the artist and and listening a lot to the band. I felt like I was going to fall off a cliff every night. It was exhilarating. Well, back in those days, I did this thing where every night I would just play a different set of songs. So I know I sent you a set of songs. And then even on the first night, I think I discarded that list and was playing different songs that you hadn't heard. But then every night I would do it. And since then I've discovered or at some point I realized, oh, I'm playing the same songs in the same towns, even though for us it's a different set every night. For Milwaukee, like they got the same songs last time we played. Um, and so what I've done since then is I've decided, okay, I'm going to put together a set of songs and I'm going to play this throughout the entire country. That way I know for sure that I haven't played these songs before um, and people are getting – you know, they're getting to hear some of the new songs and it just seems to work better. How do you know that you play the same songs? Do you like go back and look at the set list or something? Well, I have all the shows online mm-hmm. with my frunk. And so what I what I started doing was I started looking at the shows and goes, oh, I wonder what I played last time I was here. And I realized something about because I don't use set lists. So what ends up happening is I'm just kind of going with my gut or my intuition as to what to play next. And Certain clubs will make you play certain types of songs and certain crowds will make you play certain types of songs. And as I started looking, I was like, oh, the last time I was here, I kind of played these same set of songs because the club, you know, kind of 
not dictates it, but would would suggest, oh, that this would be a good song to play here. Right, um, like if it's and, like a, if it's like a party vibe, like if we were playing the Independent in San Francisco, it's going to tailor right. itself differently than if we're playing the Triple Door in Seattle, which is more of a theater and they have a piano, and we tend to play more introspective material there, right? Yeah, so so by by kind of playing the same songs every night, it kind of ensures that people are getting a different show, regardless. It, but you know, for us, I don't know. For for me, there was this thing where like, if I'm playing the same show every night, who am I? Am I what kind of artist am I? You know, I'm like selling out. But now I realize, well, no, my my job is to do the best show I can, and I don't necessarily need to make sure that I'm not bored. Right. But I, I, I'm not, I mean, I, I have so many new songs and I, I don't get bored because I'm always playing new songs. I just think it makes it more, it's a more consistent show now than it used to be. Whereas before it could get really kind of hot or cold. And uh, it was exciting. I'm sure for you, uh, when I would bust into a song that you'd never heard before and then you'd have to figure it out on the spot. Well, exciting is one way to describe that. Um, it was definitely interesting and kept me on my toes and I think made me a better musician and a better guitar player. Uh, but it was funny because I didn't know the names of many of the songs and we, Conrad and I on that first tour had a big joke where every song you started, I would look back and be like, is this one 2002? <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, it's not 2002. So <laughs> so who all's on tour with you on this run? I know, I know all these dudes. Tell me who the uh, players are on this guy. Uh, John Sanchez on guitar, Bruce Hughes on bass, and Wayne Salzman on drums. Man, I miss that. I miss you, dudes. Well, we miss you too. We were—I was hoping that you were going to be able to do this tour in July, but you're already booked. Now you're—you're you're playing some pretty high-profile gigs. Who are you playing with right now? I play with a country artist named Rodney Atkins. That's kind of my—that's my day job. When I'm not doing that, I'm—I'm I'm a songwriter. So we uh yeah well we have a new record and a new single and you know all the the machine is churning a little bit so we just did we did the today show fox and friends we're doing good morning america as you're hearing this right now we have done good morning america this morning in new york so it's it's good it's busy but i miss my family i just got home yesterday from a 5 day run and i'm leaving again tomorrow so in between you know writing trying to continue writing songs and uh churning out all these millions of podcasts that we do which by the way bob has another podcast called the song club check it out i've got another one called metal up your podcast about metallica life's just busy man but you and i are similar though and maybe we can talk about this a little bit where you and i like to work we like to make stuff and uh if i ever have free time i usually spend it making stuff I don't really have a lot of downtime. A lot of people in my life who love me are concerned that I work too much. Do you have that same problem? Well, here's what I don't want to do. Have a feeling. Because <laughs> if I have a feeling, I'm not feeling good about it. Right. So here's what I know. You can squash the feelings by doing stuff. And that's what I do. Because I live in the feelings house. And the feelings are there. Feelings are like mice. Or rats, mm -hmm. rabid fucking rats that they're in the walls, they're on the roof, they're in the attic, and they're gnawing away at the walls. And if I stop doing stuff, they're going to come out and they're going to eat me. So as long as I'm doing stuff, it keeps the rats in the walls. How so. do you, how do you, what sort of, by what voodoo 
do you inject the feelings you're trying to avoid into your work? Because your work, like my work too, is filled with a lot of feeling. So what's the pro- what's the osmosis? Is it some subconscious thing that you don't even think about? Yeah, for sure. Like I didn't realize for years that um, I was actually translating my feelings into my songs. Like people would ask me, what are your songs about? And I'm like, well, I just make everything up because the the details of the songs, like the characters and what they're doing doesn't really have anything to do with my real life. Um, but whatever I'm feeling at the moment is translated into the songs. And I didn't realize I was doing that, but uh, that I was just doing it all subconsciously. Um, so for instance, like, uh, you know, I'd write a song like 40 dogs um, and at the time I'm going through a divorce, which is really painful. But 40 Dogs is this really sweet love song about meeting somebody and, and you know, being filled with hope. And, and I realized at some point I was like, oh, this is uh, the reason I wrote that song is because I have, um, you know, I have my son in my life and I'm feeling a love that I've never even experienced before. And my heart was full of this love, even though I was going through this really painful divorce. And I realized, oh, well, that's what it is. I'm, I'm having these emotions, but I'm not good at expressing how I feel. I mean, I'm better at it now than I used to be, but I mean, uh, I used to not be able to like get in touch with what I was feeling at all, but it would come out in these songs. And, um, and so now I think of the songs that I write as sort of like an, uh, like a just a, like my emotions wearing like a mask or something, but uh, underneath what's happening in the song, whatever that feeling is, that's what I'm feeling when I'm writing it. Right. It, it, yeah. It's like you, you almost, if you're really being an artist, there's almost nothing you can do to really stop that. I've had moments where I was really intentionally trying to write about a feeling I didn't really have. Cause that's sort of part of the nature of what I do here. And those aren't usually the best ones. You know, the best ones are usually the ones that happen fast and correlate with something true about what you're feeling. Right. I mean, that sounds like hocus pocus, but that's that's been my experience. Well, I think if you're really happy and you write about something kind of horrible, uh, that happiness is going to seep into what you're writing and, and vice versa. So if you're really miserable and then you write a really sort of what sounds like on the surface, like a happy song, that melancholy or uh those feelings of ennui are going to seep into what you're doing it's kind of like it's kind of like actors who play like villains if they can find you know if they can find the likable thing in like they'll bring whatever's likable about themselves into that villain character it makes the villain so much more uh watchable and uh you know and, and you can like even though they're horrible, you kind of uh, you root for them. There's something about them, uh, you know, some small part of them that you're like, oh yeah, I can see a little. I'm sympathetic with this person, even though they're horrible. You know who's great at that is Michael Shannon. Yeah, he he definitely plays some dark, dark characters. You kind of get on Michael Shannon's side, whatever he's doing. You you. You pull for him a little bit. It's an odd feeling of I feel manipulated a little bit when I'm watching some of his films. Yeah, I don't. I'm, yeah, it's true. Uh, I think it's because he's 
I don't know. I was going to say it's because he's not very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, well, I kind of want him to win because he's the deck stacked against him because of that face. That's horrible. <laughs> horrible to say. He's such a good actor, though. He's great, man. Take Shelter was on. Uh, I I have this thing called Shutter, which is like Netflix for horror films, and they have this thing called Shutter TV where they just stream movies. You can just sort of plop on five channels instead of spending forty minutes looking for something to watch, which is what I and most people do now. Uh, but Take Shelter was on. You've seen Take Shelter, right? I love that movie. Amazing. Hard to watch, dude. Speaking of great movies. The guy who who wrote Let the Right One In has got a new movie. Have you seen it? It's called Border. Mm, no, I love Let the Right One In. Dude, you gotta watch Border. It's so good. Is it a horror movie? I'm not gonna tell you anything about it. Just okay. watch it. Okay, cool. It, it, but it's 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 similar to uh, Let the Right One In. Yeah. Well, if, for those of you who don't know, Let the Right One In is it Swedish? Yeah, it's a Swedish vampire movie, but it's it's so fresh and different about this kid. There was an American remake of it called Let Me In. Did you see that? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty pretty good for an American remake because I'll tell you what American remake absolutely sucked, and you're going to love this convo, is a little French movie that I turned you on to called Martyrs. Fuck Martyrs, dude. They made an American version way, of that. By the way, if you're thinking about watching Martyrs, think again. That movie, I was so pissed off when you made me watch it. I'm like... Is this movie going to fuck me up? And you're like, no, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I watched that movie. I was like, fuck you for making me watch this crazy ass torture porn is really <laughs> what it was. I would I would make the subtle argument that it is to be parsed out from the hostile type torture porn, the August Underground films. This is the part of the French extreme movement. You like high tension, right? It's part of the same group of films as high tension. High tension was also awful, and I wish I wouldn't have. <laughs> I've seen it, uh, but Martyrs took high tension and double and like doubled down. No, Mar you're like, right. No, you're you're totally right. Martyrs is easily the most brutal. Other than Salo, Martyrs is the most brutal shit I've ever seen. Right, and there's a movie called Bosnia movie, which neither of us have seen. But just the just no, the you're, description. You're talking of it about Serbian. You're talking about Serbian. Serbian, film. yeah, the Serbian film. Yeah, like just the description of it was like. I, I wish I wouldn't have read the description no, of it. No, I read the Wikipedia synopsis and, and uh, regretted it immediately. I'll never, ever watch it. For those of you sickos out there, that there are people, Bob, who just heard us talk about a Serbian film and how fucked up it is and go, ooh, I'm going to check that out. All right, well, here's what I know about people. Like, the only, the only, person, the only person that's going to watch a Serbian film is somebody who does not have kids. Like, if you don't have a kid, For real. your own child, then maybe you could watch that movie. But if you have a child... And you're not a psychopath, and you know what that movie is about. You're not going to watch. That. Having a kid has really changed, um, not necessarily fundamentally, but it has changed a lot of my sensibilities about films. There's just some shit now that I'm like, nope, not going to do it. Fuck that. Fuck you. You know? Yeah. I'm, if if, there, if there's a kid like that rabbit hole movie with Nicole oh, Kidman, brutal. I was like, I'm not watching that. Brutal. Like it's about a kid dying. I watched no. it. Yeah. My wife likes movies like that. My wife is really attracted to dark films even though she is a wonderful mother and so maybe she is maybe she's a high-functioning sociopath i don't know but she she liked rabbit hole i think that's i i really think that's some weird woman thing because like my wife's favorite series is the handmaid's tale have you watched any of that no but it's one of my wife's favorite shows also it is basically these women who have been enslaved by this 
male-dominated society, this dystopian future society, and they've been turned in, like, most women can't have babies, and the ones that can have been turned into, like, baby slaves for the rich. Mm -hmm. And then they're raped until they're pregnant, and then they take the babies from them and give them to these rich families. And it is so awful. And uh, I tried to watch it, and I'm like, they're just raping and raping these women and taking their babies away. And my wife's always like, no, no, there's more to it than that. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm not watching this. This is awful. And then so I stopped watching it. And then the second season started. And uh, I'm like, how's the second season of that Handmaid's Tale? And she's like, there's no, there's, there's no rape in the second season. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me check it out. And I watched five minutes of, this, of one of the episodes of the second season. And within 30 seconds, this woman was being raped. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm, I'm like, fuck this. I'll never watch it. Yeah, same with Chernobyl. My wife's like, you should really watch Chernobyl with me. I'm like, it sounds so horrible. It does sound horrible. But they send people in and they're going to die because they've got to fix the reactor and stuff. She just loves the real, the real gritty shit. One of her favorite movies is that movie Closer, which is a horror film to me. If it's about Satan or demons or, you know, I love particularly I love a cult and uh, films about cults and shit. By the way, did you ever see that movie Faults, F-A-U-L-T-S, about a cult? This this dude whose job it is to deprogram people who get locked into cults gets hired by this chick's parents. So he goes and finds her and he locks With her. With Harvey Keitel? It's not Harvey Keitel. It's a guy that looks like him. But he goes to deprogram this chick. Oh, no, no. Yeah, no, no. And then she programs yes. him. It's yeah, Mar- it's Mary it. Louise Winstead. That movie is yeah. so fucking scary, dude. It's like an independent movie. It's yeah, like a yeah. real low it, budget. It's yeah, an art. It's an art film. Yeah. Well, it's uh, that's one of those movies that got like a ninety something Rotten Tomatoes. So I went into it with that idea, and then it's about a seventy two. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, "It's it's fine, but it's that I, I I get pissed when the Rotten Tomatoes weigh more than it should be." I know, but I just can't go by that because like the eighth Captain America has like a ninety five, and I think those movies are so unwatchable. I just. Well, they figured out a way to 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 skew it, like um, especially when when there's like over 300 reviews, you know, that's skewed. And all those adventure movies are like 300 reviews, because what they do is they get 250 fan uh, fanboy sites to review it. And they're all going to give it positive. Well, what's what's finally happening, I think, a little bit is that Dark Phoenix movie where they're trying to basically start a whole new thing. Uh, It bombed. It's going to lose a shitload of money. And I, I, it's going to happen at some point. There's going to be a backlash to all this superhero shit. And it's got to happen soon, dude. Well, the thing about those superhero movies is they've got to be good. Like, the, the last couple Avengers were pretty good. Oof. Like, they weren't they – weren't, the first couple were horrible. But uh, it, they, they got better. And um, they figured out kind of what works. But I guess uh, – I. Yeah, the new Dark Phoenix got a really bad review uh, by the critics, and I think that didn't help it. Well, people got to be getting tired of that shit. I I read a really fascinating book called The Big Picture by Ben Fritz, and it's about about the future of of, uh, cinema and told through what was revealed in the Sony hacks. Do you remember when Sony got hacked? Yeah. And all those emails from Sony were made public, and what you see in that from this chick Amy Pascal, who was running the studio, is you see the the inner the sort of seedy inner workings of a big major studio, which Sony's one of the five major you know production houses, 
And uh, it's, as you can imagine, a lot of conversation in that book is about these tentpole superhero movies and how they're, how they've negatively affected like the middle budget, $30 million adult drama or adult comedy. And all those have gone away. Like no one, those aren't getting made anymore. And so many, I don't know, so many of your favorite movies are those, you know, like a movie like uh, Amadeus, you know, think about a movie like Amadeus that can't be made now. No one will, no, no producer will take a risk on it. But I disagree. I think those movies are being made. They're just not being made for the big screen. They're being made on Netflix. They're being made on HBO. They're being made on TNT effects. You know what I mean? Like TV now is taking the place you're, of that. You're totally right. And that's the big point of the book. You know, the silver lining of the book is that someone, a place like Netflix no longer ha- needs a big studio. They're their own studio. And actually Netflix's original content is pretty dope. And so all these places like Amazon – you know, picked up Manchester by the sea when no one really wanted it for distribution. And what does it mean that these places like Netflix can actually start to champion independent artists, independent scripts and stuff. And so that's kind of the, basically the future of cinema is just streaming. The future of everything is streaming content, but it just sucks because the the movie going experience. Hold on before you go any further. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Oh boy! Wait, he kept saying the word "streaming," and I was like, "Oh, I got to get more comfortable." Wow. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> cool. <laughs> we did it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all, it, dude. I just, <clears throat> I just got Hulu, and I'm telling you, I'd like, I went through Hulu, and then I picked like, oh, now I've got 500 hours of TV to watch now. Yeah. That I need to get through. Oh, speaking of which, uh, have you seen Judah on Hulu? No. Judah is a series. There's one season uh, from Israel, and it's about a Jewish vampire named Judah. Um, and the premise is vampires can't uh, can't feed on Jewish blood. And if they do, it'll fuck them up. And so this guy gets bit by this vampire accidentally, and it fucks up their whole thing. It's so well done. It's really funny. The main character is like this kind of rascal who's real likable, and it's, it's great. That sounds it sounds at least a, a, like a fairly fresh take on it. I am a massive horror nerd, have been my whole life, but I the big tropes of horror like vampires and zombies, I've I've soured on those at a very early age. But if you can do it in a way that's new and fresh, that's cool. Well, you can watch the first episode of Judah on YouTube for free, and uh, you can watch the second, and you can watch all the rest of them on YouTube. But they don't have subtitles, so you're not going to want to watch the rest unless you're unless you're fluent in Hebrew. Okay. Well, I don't. There's no need for me to do any type of strange pirating. Uh, we have Hulu, and we uh, we have Hulu, so I can watch it through normal channels. Yeah, check it out. Let me let me know what you think. We're uh, we're we're excited about Big Little Lies. We just watched uh, episode two of season two last night, and it's it's a barn burner, man. Meryl Streep is in this season. Have, have you been watching Big Little Lies? I n- I've never watched the first season, but when I saw the trailer for the second season with Meryl Streep, I was like, oh, this looks pretty good. Dude, to me. she is so creepy in the season, man. Yeah, you got to check it so out. Good. She's just yeah. the best. She's just the best. I like that whole cast. I just I don't know what it is, but I have this ser- and I always have. I have this problem with Nicole Kidman where what? 
I just, you know, here's why. And I realized this a while ago about certain actors. So she's Australian. So anytime somebody is not using their accent that they were born with, Mm -hmm. I mean, and she's really good at doing an American accent, but there's some part of me, it's because I'm so hypervigilant and I'm so like intuitive. I'm picking up on the small little differences, like subconsciously when she's talking and it triggers a part of my brain that's like, don't trust that person. There's something wrong with that person. Right. And, and, and it, and it happens kind of with anybody like true blood is a, a prime example of they used a lot of British actors in true blood. And the, and I found out later that the ones that I hated were all the British. Actors. Are you telling me that you hate and distrust Hugh Jackman or Christian Bale? Yes. I, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm telling you. No, 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 no. I don't like Hugh Jackman. What? I don't. You don't like Christian Bale. Uh, I don't like Christian Bale in most things. Now, every once in a while, he'll do a crazy, crazy accent, and it disguises how, you know, it's so crazy that I'm fine with it. Like when he was Batman. I didn't mind him in Batman. I I love those. Those were my favorite Batman movies, for sure. Well, this has been a very fast episode, Bob. It's gone by really quickly. I'm sad to say that it's it's actually over, and we have to leave the good people for another week. I hope the audio was fine, because this is the first one we've done where we've tried to do it over the phone, and uh, I, I hope it sounds good. Well, you've, done, you've now done the thing where even if it was a little wonky, you've drawn attention to it. Now, much like Nicole Kidman's Aussie accent, they're going to only hear that, and now they're going to distrust us the way you distrust Hugh Jackman. This pod's okay. This pod's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> this pod's accent's okay. Well, all right. Go leave us a positive review. We're up to 80 reviews. We want to try to crack 80,000 sometime before the fall. And uh, go yeah, check. Can we, if we could get to 80,000 reviews, that would be great by like maybe, I don't know, by the end of the year. Tell you what, if we get to 80,000, we're going to send out to one of you lucky people a free t shirt. Let's just send them a free car. A free car? <laughs> oh, we're going to get Oprah on this bitch. Well, if we get 80,000 reviews, we're going to be swimming in cars. Still, however, though, we're going to be giving away just a free T-shirt. <laughs> With a car in it. <laughs> we're, going to wrap, we're going to wrap a car in a T-shirt. Send it to you. Surprise. We'll 80,000 reviews. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get the fuck out All of right. here. Peace. Peace. <laughs>